Last week, I gave a message on heaven, and, you know, we covered a lot of ground in 35 minutes. I was thinking about it this past week again. What is heaven? What is it like? And, and why, why does it matter? And, you know, I wanted to, to remind you to summarize what we talked about last week. And I struggled with that because it's such a, a broad topic and there are many things that we, we talked about. It, it wasn't meant to be exhaustive. It was meant to be food for thought. And so I hope that you have been able to think about these things and why they matter. You know, we sang this morning about Christ, that he is Lord, that he is exalted, that he is on the throne. And when I think about heaven, that ultimately ought to be the thing that is on our mind, that we remember the Lord Jesus is on the throne, that uh, his presence is our joy. And those who, who trust in him, the word of God says that we are raised in his life and one day we await the hope of being raised in new bodies to live with him forever. And uh, this morning we're going to continue to think about these things. We're going to go to the word of the Lord to, to understand um, better what thinking of heaven, what thinking of things above uh, looks like. To use an analogy last week, we set our eyes on the target. We looked at heaven. We looked at Christ. And now we're going to consider how to aim our whole lives towards that target. And specifically, we're going to consider three things. We're going to consider, again, what are we aiming for? What is our focus? What are we aiming for? We're going to consider how. How do we aim towards having an eternal perspective? Perspective of looking to Christ on the throne. What does that look like practically? And lastly, again, I want to consider why these things are important. And we'll see that in our text for this morning. Because the reality is if we don't believe this is important, we won't really bother to seek the things above. So to summarize where we're going, we're going to see that what we're aiming for is Christ. And how we aim for Christ is by setting our minds on Christ. And why we aim for Christ? Because our lives are bound up in Christ's life. Those who believe in him are hidden in Christ until the day that he appears and we also will appear with him in glory. John MacArthur put it this way, speaking of the passage, Colossians 3, um, Christ, not this present world, Christ is the center of the believer's universe. 
He is what we're aiming for. And so we're going to consider what that looks like this morning by looking at Colossians chapter 3 and verses 1 through 4. Colossians 3, uh, 1 through 4. I'll begin reading in verse 1, and I'll read through to verse 4. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. We see, first of all, in this passage, a reminder of the believer's union with Christ. When Paul writes in verse 1, if then you have been raised with Christ, he signifies that what he is going to go on to say applies to those who have been raised with Christ. If then you've been raised with Christ, then, and he'll go on to speak of our topic this morning. So who is it that has been raised with Christ? Well, Paul here is pointing the believer or the reader back to earlier in the book of Colossians. In chapter 2 and verse 12, he, he's speaking about being raised with Christ. And he says, you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. In another passage in Romans 6 and verse 4, Paul writes, Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk, that is that we might live now, in newness of life. Both Colossians chapter 2 and Romans chapter 6 teach us that because Jesus was raised, those who believe in him are raised with faith, uh, with him by faith. As it says in Colossians 2 and verse 12, we're raised through faith. Why are we raised with him? We're raised with him because we have accepted what he has done on our behalf. As Paul goes on to speak of in Romans chapter 6, verse 23. He summarizes the gospel for us, saying the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And, and how do we have eternal life? It is through Christ Jesus, our Lord. It is that though we were dead in sin, separated from God, we're made alive through our relationship with Him, trusting Him alone. And this is the firm foundation, the hope we have that informs how we view the world. Paul is helping us to remember the resurrection, to remember that as He was raised, so those who believe in Him also have been raised, that we are a new person, no longer dead in sin. And he reminds us of this now because we have the responsibility as people who have been raised with Christ to seek 
heavenly things. Let me ask you this. Is it possible to seek heavenly things? Yes, it is. For the believer is raised up with Christ. His spirit is is in you. That in this life, as we wait in hope of the resurrection, we might look to Christ. And yet with our new position, our new life, comes new responsibility. And that's the focus of our message this morning. Verse 1 goes on to say, Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. And we'll stop there. And here we're told what we're to aim for in life. What is to be our focus. What are we to pursue? Paul says that we ought to seek the things above. Seek what, Paul? Seek the things above. Well, well, what are things above? They're those things that belong where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. The central focus that we are to have and what we are to seek after is, first of all, a person, (coughs) the Lord Jesus Christ, and a place that where he is and from which um, the Bible says in, in Ephesians that all spiritual blessings come from him. And James says all good gifts come from the Father, come from the throne of God. To seek the things above is to pursue God, His presence, His values, His promises, His will, His glory, His rule, all of which are wrapped up in Jesus, who is seated on the throne at the right hand of God. It is because He is raised because He is glorified, because He is exalted, that we have hope. We can experience the blessings of God in this life and the next. Where do we find out about these things then? Well, we know that we have been given the Word of God, the Bible, and we can um, find out about these things. In, in the Word of God, the right hand of God is a place of holiness, power, authority, and intercession. And the Scripture teaches that when Christ, having purified, made the purification for our sins, He went and He is seated at the right hand of God, having power and authority in a place where he intercedes on our behalf. That he is on the throne demonstrates his greatness and his goodness. For it is from there that he rules with holy splendor. He is in control of all things, as we sang this morning. He is exalted on high. He is the name that is above every name at which every knee should bow. 
He is great. He is in control and he is able. But he is not only able. He intercedes for us. Now in heaven. He cares for us. He is near. Therefore, he is the one to whom we must go, to whom we ought to look in the troubles that we face in this life, whether it be sin or suffering. We can go to the one on the throne and have confidence in him. He is the one from whom we must draw our strength in this life. Like a compass points north, so our lives ought to be directed towards Christ. There's nothing else that's worthy of of receiving our attention. There's nothing else worthy of receiving our worship. He is the greatest in all the universe. He made all things. All things are sustained by the word of his power, and yet he came that we might know him, that we might look to him on the throne, having confidence because of his death and his resurrection. So Paul repeats this thought. He says in verse 2, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. We're to seek Christ. Now, when Paul speaks of things on earth, what is he referring to? Is he referring to everything pertaining to earth and this world? What what does that look like? Well, Paul defines it actually very clearly in a couple of passages. One is the very verse after our text in verse 5 of Colossians chapter 3. And he speaks of earthly things. Things And he defines that as as sinful lusts, ungodly desires, including sexual immorality and greed or covetousness, which is idolatry. When we value the things of this world above the Lord, not seeing them as simply gifts, good gifts, perhaps. Indeed, from from a good God. Paul doesn't condemn the world that God has made as evil as though everything in this life is sinful. But even the best things in this life do not compare to the joy to come in the new world that God is preparing for his people. And when we're comparing the temporal, the temporary To the eternal, only the fool lives for what is temporary. And yet, so often we, so often I, value the pleasures of the present more than the joys of eternity. So let us take care then, Paul is saying, to aim for Christ and not for lesser things. Let us be thankful for whatever we're given in this life. And recall that all good gifts come from above. They come from God. 
through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The creation is not to be worshipped, but we ought to worship the Creator for all that He has done and all that He has made. The proper attitude towards the things of earth is to look above with thankfulness, to pursue Christ who is on the throne. So we've considered a little bit of what we're to pursue. How do we do that? What does that look like? Paul uses two words in our text to describe our responsibility. He uses the words to seek and to set your minds on things of Baal. To, to seek simply means to pursue. And the emphasis here is that of a continual action. So that when Paul is, is, was saying is really a keep seeking the things above. He's talking about a constant pursuit. Also in the word uh, to seek, I think we see the, the emphasis here is on what we desire. For we seek out what we love. We do many things out of duty, um, but we'll never seek those same things out with joy. There's a, a difference in in doing something because we have to and because we, we long to. And so seeking flows from our desire, the desires of our heart. If a guy loves a girl, he pursues her. You know, if a man is zealous for God, if, if we love the Lord, we pursue Christ with a holy passion. And such a pursuit is one of humble submission and prayer to the Lord. The thought that comes to my mind is that of saying, Lord, I, I am yours. What is it that I ought to do and think today? What is it that you want from me? We're depending on the Lord as we seek him. Seeking to orient our thoughts and desires around God's word, his truth, and asking God to help us to understand these things. That we might live to please him more and more. So to seek is, is to pursue Christ. And to set our, your mind on something is really simply, it's just to think about. That's the basic meaning of the word. So, but what you think about shapes what you do. And the more we think on something, the more it becomes a way of thinking, a mindset. That's why I, I like the translation, set your minds on, because it, it emphasizes that that's where your mind goes. It's where your mind is, is focused on. You're thinking about it. So Lightfoot 
One of a commentator writes, you must not only seek heaven to pursue it, desire it, go after it, but you must also think heaven. Our whole disposition, our attitude, our way of thinking is is to be oriented around Christ and his his rule and reign. Paul put put it this way in the book of Romans, chapter eight, verse five. Those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. What Paul is saying here and in Colossians chapter three is is that uh, what we think about, what we choose to focus on, to set our minds on shapes the way that we live. So we have essentially two options here. We live and think in accordance with God's word or we live and think the way the world thinks and acts. You know, in in the book of Philippians chapter 3, verse 18 and 19, we see this description of, of people whose minds are set on earthly things. Here again, Paul uses the, the same words for earth, things of this earth, and he uses the same word for thinking. And it's not a pretty picture. He says, their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame. But Paul goes on to say, our citizenship is in heaven. That is where we ought to set our minds. To remember that because of Christ, we have entered into the kingdom of God. And we await the return of our king or the day that we shall go to be with him in glory. You know, these things involve intentional thought. I don't want to make it think it's just an intellectual exercise, but our thinking and and what we focus on reflects and affects every aspect of our lives. And so we don't want to ignore this aspect of what do I think about? Consciously consider where does our mind go throughout the day? At the end of the day or the beginning, at the end of the day to be able to look back and say, this is where my mind went. This is what I did. And to be able to offer these things to the Lord. Asking forgiveness where needed. Giving him thanks for all he has done. We ought to think on these things in the Word of God. And it's a battle. I was reminded of 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 3. And and it's one of those passages where um, Paul says that we're in a war. 
He says, as though, though we live as human beings, we don't wage war according to human standards or in a human manner. The weapons of our warfare are not human weapons, but have divine power to tear down strongholds. One passage which speaks of such weapons is Ephesians chapter 6. And when we hear of the armor of God and we talk about faith and truth and righteousness and salvation and their source, the source of all those things is found in God himself, Christ, who came and defeated sin and death for us and has given to us all these things. And Paul goes on and says they have divine power to tear down strongholds. We tear down arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. That's what the, the, the opposition is. There's the knowledge of God, who he is as a personal and a relational knowledge as well as intellectual knowledge. And then there's all that is opposed to, to the knowledge of God, to who God is. And finally, he says, let us take captive every thought to obey Christ. Taking every thought captive is a discipline. It's not just something that comes naturally. It's something we must depend on the spirit for. Always asking the Lord for strength and wisdom comes as we surrender our will to God and seek to know Him, to, to know the knowledge of God, to know Him personally through His Word, through prayer. You have to know Him. You also have to be on guard, watching what you're thinking. To be able to, to ask ourselves is, this what Jesus would have me to say and to think. To ask the Lord for the strength to fight. Because that's where our help comes from. The maker of heaven and earth. That's why we must always remember him on the throne. That's the image that Paul gives to us. That he is in control. That he is over all. And also that he wants us to come to him in our time of need. He is able to help. And he is near. I want to illustrate uh, what this looks like. Maybe it's, I don't know if it'll make sense to you, but uh, we're going to pretend this rubber band is, is our life. It's the life of a Christian more specifically, it's our, our mind. What is our mind thinking about? Where is our mind going? As my mind is a little bit like a rubber band. It's all over the place. Um, and it's usually, when it's one place, it's not another place. And I think that's kind of the thought here. Um, according to Colossians chapter 3, can you see it? According to Colossians chapter 3, and verses 1 to 4, the true Christian ought to have their mind, ought to be thinking about the things above. That's where our citizenship is, our God is there. And so the, the natural way of thinking for the Christian is to be thinking of, of the Lord. 
to be longing to be with him, as Roy reminded us in Psalm 27. And David says, one thing I desire to see, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, to be in his presence in his temple. And and I notice I, I could stretch it out so you all could see a little better. But I want to leave it like this because this is sort of the place of rest for for the rubber band. It's it's uh, it's in its natural shape and it's pointed towards God. But now here's the thing. We as Christians uh, now live on this earth and we have uh, many tasks and things that that take our thinking and our attention. I mean. Any, any of you know, like, I mean, we can multitask to some extent. You can talk on the phone and eat a bowl of cereal and, and drive a car if you want to, but, but there's a certain amount of attention that's on, on something like driving a car or, or doing a task at work or at home, doing some, some homework, a math problem. Your mind is either daydreaming about something or it's really got to focus on that pro- So. So there's a natural, normal sense in which our minds are, we have to think of things on, on an earthly plane. The problem is not when things become pointed towards, when we have to think about things of earth, but when our, our thinking becomes stretched to where that is what we're thinking about all the time. Is it earthly? Am I becoming desirous after a particular earthly thing? Maybe it be a, a certain kind of lifestyle or, or um, acceptance of people, whatever it may be. Or perhaps we're burdened by things of this world. We become worried, anxious by things. And our thought is stretched towards the things of this earth. The Christian, even in the midst of work and life and burdens and driving the car, can have their thought turned towards God and stretched out towards him, seeking after him. In the things that we think about and the things that we do, the things that we desire, So what do you think about when you have a free moment? You're not super busy with whatever task is at hand or you have a day off or it's the end of the day and all the work is done. In the midst of your work, where is the the mind going? Does it become consumed by earthly things? Or is your hope in heaven? See, the Christian is meant to live in the world, but not to love the world. And and when we love the world, you know, it's not a good place to... It's not the way that... We were designed to to think and to act. Our whole 
being our heart and soul and mind and strength. The law, book of the law said was to, to love the Lord your God. And out of that we live and we love one another. We do not become burdened by this world, the cares of this world, or longing for the world's comforts. We can always come to Christ. You know what? He does not turn away those who come to him. If you've been the one who's been living for the world and longing for the things of the world, as I know I have this past week, I am one who's often burdened by many cares. But we can come to him and he will give us rest. You see, the thought that he is on the throne does not opposed to the thought that he is near. Indeed, God, Jesus said, my spirit is with you. I'm sending my help, a helper to be with you. He is near. He will enable us to live for him in this world as we look to him. So we've seen what we're to aim for, that we're to look to Christ, to seek Christ, to pursue him. We, we looked a little bit at how that involves pursuing, it involves our desires, that we focus our thoughts on Christ. Come to him in our sin, in our suffering, in our misery. And now we're going to look briefly at the reason or the grounds for a heavenly mindset. In verse 3 and 4. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So the reason that we ought to pursue Christ is because we have died with Christ. We are dead to sin and alive to God, as Paul said to the Romans. Again, in Romans chapter 6, I've referenced earlier. Now the believer's life is safely hidden away with Christ. And not only with Christ, but in God, for God and Christ are one. What a hope that is. What a strong refuge, place to go. This means that our well-being depends on His, that as long as He lives, His people live also. We are safe with Him. Notice in verse 4 that Christ is described as your life. Do you view him that way? Do you understand that Jesus is not just the Savior who gives you life, but that he is the very life that we have? He is the life of all those who believe in him. There is a, a union there that is, is beyond my finite understanding it just amazes me the assurance that we have as we 
come to Christ. Our lives are transformed to the degree that we see Christ as our life, our hope, our joy, our glory. He's the center of this text. The repeated phrases, it's repeated with Christ, where Christ is, with Christ, when Christ appears, with Him in glory. They testify to the truth that He is our goal. The one that we live for. And one day, as verse 4 tells us, we'll appear with Him in glory. Aren't these some pretty good reasons to aim our lives towards Christ, to think about Him and long to be with Him? Brothers and sisters, aim for Christ. By setting your mind on Christ, thinking of Him, because your life is bound up with His. Don't let the rubber band stretch out towards the things of this world. Aim for Christ. 